Hi, my name is Dr. Sarah Adams. I am a board-certified pediatrician, but I'm not your pediatrician. Feel free to use my podcast as helpful information, but in no way do I intend my podcast to replace the advice of your physician. Your physician knows you and is in the best position to provide medical advice. And welcome to Growing Up with Dr. Sarah. I have the privilege of having Dr. Nicole Baldwin, who is a general pediatrician from Cincinnati, Ohio. She is an owner and managing technology partner at Northeast Cincinnati Pediatric Associates, Inc. She is a fellow of the American Academy of Pediatrics and a member of the AAP Council on Communications and Media. Dr. Baldwin is passionate about social media, and technology, and sharing evidence-based medical information online. She's passionate about vaccine advocacy and uses her presence on social media to educate about vaccines in a fun and unique way. In addition to vaccine advocacy, she's also committed to combating medical information online and encouraging other healthcare providers to do the same. Thank you, Dr. Baldwin, for joining me today. Great to be here, Sarah. Thanks for having me. So let's talk about the one vaccine that we know is very exciting and um, is ever-changing and the news that very soon we are going to be able to vaccinate ages 5 through 11. And I know that in my practice, and I'm sure in your practice, we are getting a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. What do you think is the most common question you hear, whether it's in your office or even on online? Mm. Well, I would say there's a tie between two of them. Number one would be, when can I get it? (laughs) Yes. That's number one. Number two is, well, what do I do for my 11-year-old who's almost 12? Do I give them the dose for 11-year-olds or do I wait until they turn 12? And that is a really good question. I think for a parent to even have the insight to think about that, because we know from what we've learned is that the COVID vaccine that They will be giving to ages 5 to 11, and maybe our listeners aren't aware, but let's make them aware, is actually a third of the actual adult dose that we have known, um, come to know uh, about the Pfizer vaccine. So what do you usually say in in that aspect? I mean, I would imagine that part of it would have to do with how close their 12th birthday is coming. That would make it a little easier, I think. Right, right. I think that for most parents, what I'm saying is, I really advise they get the vaccine as soon as it's available. Um, You know, I think if their child turns 12 in a week, I don't know that waiting a week is going to be that big of a deal. But I think what's super important for parents to understand is that vaccines are not weight based. You know, they're, you know, a lot of people are asking that question. I have a, a large 11 year old or a small 12 year old. What should I do? They're not weight based. And also know that in the trials, 
the lower dose of the vaccine for the five to 11 year olds gave the same amount of immunity that the 16 and over crowd got with, you know, two with a 30 microgram dose and had fewer side effects. So really like you're getting a great boost with or a great immune response with less side effects. So why would you wait? Right. Potentially more side effects with with the similar response. Yes. If it was less effective, then it might be something to think about. But it's it's really effective. And we're seeing less side effects, which is wonderful. Mm -hmm. You know, while you're telling me this, it comes to mind, you know, when we tell people that they need to go to the emergency room, what do we say? We say go to the closest emergency room. And so it I kind of feel like this is the same thing. It's like, if your child is 11, and you know, and it's and we can give the vaccine, don't wait. You know, it's like, let's do it now because we really need to get them protected. And we know that it's a two shot, you know, you know, we have the first shot and the second shot. So they're not really fully immune until they've about two weeks after the second vaccine. Right. What about, you know, what's interesting to me when I read about it, not just in our own, the, the, the information we get as physicians, but also, you know, online and social media, et cetera, that that phrase, the benefits outweigh the risks. I know as a parent, if I wasn't knowledgeable, I'd be like, well, what does that mean? So can you shed a little bit of light on, on that and reassure them that that's a good thing? Right, right. I don't know. I kind of look at benefits outweigh the risks as a medical version of your pro and con list that a lot of people make for anything, you know, if you're making a decision. So we look at the pros or the benefits, you know, what are the benefits for your child of getting a vaccination? You know, they are getting protection against a disease that can cause long-term consequences, can, you know, make them sick, can, you know, they can infect other people. Um, they miss school potentially, you know, all of those kind of things are important um, to protect them against, number one. And then we look at risks, you know, what is the risk of this vaccine? And, you know, and so side effects, maybe they'll feel crummy for a day or two. Um, there is a very rare risk of something called myocarditis, which is inflammation of the heart. Um, and again, I don't know if we'll talk about that more, but that is very very rare. And we expect it to be even more rare in the age group of the five to 11 year old kiddos. So that's one benefit risk. And then you've got to look at what are the benefits and risks of getting COVID infection um, to balance that out. I mean, I don't know about you. I don't personally see a lot of benefit to getting COVID infection. No. (laughs) Um, And, and certainly, you know, risk wise, we're talking about, like I just said, risks of long-term, you know, consequences, risk of myocarditis with getting COVID infection is actually higher and than the risk of getting myocarditis that's with right. the vaccine. Yes. So I think that's important for parents to balance that out. Um, and, you know, again, the risk of getting other people sick and stuff like that. So that's why we kind of try to balance all of that out when making decisions about what's best for kids in our practice, for our own kids, those kind of things. 
And, and it is individual. And so I would always encourage everyone to talk to their own physician, pediatrician about your child specifically. But I was very excited, and correct me if I'm wrong, that in the trial, there were no cases of myocarditis. Now, that doesn't mean that there won't, there isn't that small risk, but so far in the trials, they did not report any. Right, correct. And I think what's important for parents to realize is there weren't cases of myocarditis in the in the 12 and over trials either because it's so, 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 so rare. Mm-hmm. I think we hear about it. And when we hear about something frequently, we think often that it's more common than actually what it is. And so it's important to understand how rare of a side effect that is, number one, and to understand that even the patients that have experienced myocarditis after vaccination, they have gotten better. Yes. They have, you know, those cases have resolved. Some of them did have to be hospitalized, but they were treated and released. And so I think that's very important to understand as a parent that it's you know, it's still a very rare risk. And again, I can't stress enough, their risk of getting myocarditis with a COVID infection is significantly higher. And the recovery is more complicating Mm -hmm. and may cause, and this is again, just to reiterate, if, if you, if you have the virus the risk is higher with getting the virus itself of getting myocarditis and the complications that that could lead from that and is also how long it's going to last. Whereas right now, science is telling us that in that rare situation from the vaccine, if they got myocarditis, that they that they do get better and they resolve and they're doing okay. We can't say the same if a child develops myocarditis from COVID and the risk is higher getting it from the actual natural disease, you know, cause I can remember and you're younger than I am, but when I was first practicing the chicken pox vaccine came out and, you know, back then people would have chicken pox parties, you know, like yeah, they wanted yeah. to expose, you know, their kids like, oh, so-and-so's got chicken pox. Let's go. You know, we want them to just get it so that, you know, they'll be okay. Not realizing that there are complications from getting ch- chicken pox. And if we have an opportunity to make sure that they either a never get it or if they do much like the covid vaccine it will be a much milder case and less chance for complications and hospitalization and even death i mean i know that sounds really dramatic but it's true right right i i have a funny story about the chickenpox vaccine because so my son was born in 1996 and so the chickenpox vaccine i believe came out in 1996 I yes think. And around there, I had chicken pox in the eighth grade. And I remember how miserable chicken pox was. So when he was one, I remember I distinctly that is one of the few vaccines because this was he was born when I was in college. It was before I went to medical school. I remember being so excited that he was able to get that vaccine. And I didn't as a parent at the time who was not in medicine yet, 
I didn't understand the complications of chickenpox, but I just didn't want my child to have to go through that illness that I so distinctly remember. And so I think that it, that is a great parallel to COVID-19 right now, because even though children in general have a mild infection, if they get COVID-19, correct, that, that doesn't mean that we want them to be sick, right? Miss, miss 10 days of school or, you know, miss their basketball tryouts or their homecoming or yeah, exactly. So I, I think that when we look at that risk benefit analysis, again, each of us as parents, we need to think beyond just the extremely severe consequences of hospitalization and death, which are rare in kids. Right. We need to look at their mental well-being, their social um, interactions, all of those kind of things go into that decision as well. I know. I mean, we know that the AAP just in the last week announced that mental health in children is is a national emergency and they need to be in school and they need to be around other children their age mm-hmm. and and it's so important i i was walking by a school just today and I could hear the kids laughing on the playground and it just made me feel so good just hearing them talk and laugh and and it's like this is so important and and I know that um that you're right I mean even though kind of paralleling that with chicken pox most people get it and they do okay and they they go on but there there are you know, there are potential side effects and why not just not get it at all? And why they don't really, they're, I think, I don't know about you, but I think most kids are just done having their life interrupted by all this. And this is one way to prevent that. Yes. Yeah, for sure. So when you, um, one of the other questions I get and is, well, what about the COVID vaccine and the timing of all the other vaccines? Because we've got, we you know, we've got the flu vaccine out, which, you know, I was doing some research in general about pandemics. And I realized that in World War One, and I hope I'm saying that right, um, was a flu pan- influenza pandemic. And there were several million people that died. Oh, wow. And so the flu shot is out. And of course, there are other vaccines which are really just as important. So what do you recommend to parents um, when it comes to the, the other vaccines that they need and the timing? Right. Well, I, you know, the, the CDC came out with guidance early on um, after the vaccine was released or authorized for kids 12 and over that it was okay to give this vaccine, uh, the COVID vaccine with other vaccines. Um, initially we thought we'd have to wait between, um, doses, but we don't now. And so I just really give parents a choice. I have some parents who would prefer to space out the COVID vaccine from other vaccines. And I'm okay with that. Um, versus I have, I had, um, some patients yesterday that got, they came in for a 12 year old visit. They needed an HPV vaccine. They needed a flu vaccine and they needed their first COVID vaccine and they got them all. And and they're okay. And they were totally fine. And so, you know, that parent didn't, wasn't interested in coming back in for other vaccines. And so 
I think either way is is okay. It's whatever the parent or child chooses in that situation. But certainly, I do prioritize the COVID vaccine in that situation, typically. And and I would agree. I, d- I definitely do the same thing. I, it, you know, I talk to the family and we talk about, look, this is what on a regular visit, normally at your 12, 11 year visit, or, you know, maybe it's the kindergarten or it's your five year visit, for example, um, or even just they're due for their flu shot. I, I do give them, you know, we talk about it and, and cause I want them to be comfortable, you know, with their decisions. And I always, um, I remember I had a, a instructor, like a preceptor when I was doing my residency and he used to say we are um so the Latin word for doctor is dotre and that means to teach and I just always feel like our job is really to teach them and then the the families hopefully have enough information to make that decision Mm -hmm. because in some cases they're just anxious and want to get it all done or don't want to have to come back or inconvenience and we know that if there's going to be any side effects, they're going to have it, whether they get them all together or they get them separately. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So it's like, do you get it all done in one day or do you spread it out over multiple days? <laughs> That's right. And and again, I the other thing when they were like, well, what do you think I should do? And it's not that I'm trying to be a cop out, but sometimes I'll say, well, I just want you to remind remind you that I'm not the one that has to take them home. <laughs> so you just have to decide like how you want your next couple of days to look like. Exactly. But now your own daughter, if you don't mind me asking, sure. went through the trials for the 12 to 18 year olds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and sure. I know that you posted that, which I really mm-hmm. appreciated um, mm-hmm. as a mom as well. Tell, tell us about that experience. Yeah. So back in Probably, oh gosh, it's been about a year. It was late October, early November. Um, I had heard from actually the doctor that runs the trials here in Cincinnati. I know him. And um, he said that the trials were enrolling, um, still needing kids. And my daughter was 16 at the time. And so I just asked her, she's interested in going into medicine. So I asked her, I was like, hey, are, do you want to do this? Like, a, this is an opportunity for you to potentially get vaccine even before your mom does. Yeah. Um, and, and B, it's a great way to contribute to science and, you know, the, the future of uh, kind of managing this pandemic and stuff like that. So she was pretty much all for it, especially when she found out, you know, she got some compensation for doing the, well, you go. which is always a bonus, but, um, but yeah, so she uh, got her first, uh, shot in November, um, had zero side effects. So we assumed it was placebo. Did you, were you suspicious? We were of course suspicious, very suspicious. And then her second one was, you know, three weeks after that. And she also had to get COVID swabs, blood draws, you know, the whole nine yards. The second visit, I remember she came home and I was like, does it hurt? Does your arm hurt at all? Yeah. Tell me, does your arm hurt? You know, I just wanted anything. Yeah. And, and of course it did not. So, uh, we, we were pretty sure that she got placebo, but, um, we didn't actually find that out until, gosh, I want to say maybe March, she was able to be unblinded in March. So by that time, the trial had concluded and there was authorization for kids 16 and over. So she was that age, but it wasn't 
rolled out to that age yet. And so the way the trial worked is that if you were in the trial and your age group was able to be vaccinated, they would unblind you if you wanted. Okay. And so I think some people probably remained blinded, um, but other people got unblinded. And then when they unblinded you, so she got unblinded, I think maybe beginning of March and um, she got crossed over then. So she's still actually in the trial. Um, so when she went down to actually get vaccine, they still did COVID swabs. They still did. Bless her heart. Swabs. Yeah. She's had, she also participated in a secondary trial where they just did asymptomatic swabs every two weeks of people to see if they were, if they could transmit COVID asymptomatically. Okay. And so I think grand total she's had, I, she did the math, like seven or nine <laughs> COVID swabs. I'm sure she's trial. keeping track. <laughs> yeah. She's had her blood drawn, I think four times she's had, or five, maybe five times. And then she's had four shots because two of them were placebo right two that were vaccine but um and and now they actually have contacted us about booster doses so they're still there's she's she's not eligible yet because she's a healthy 17 year old uh but i have a feeling that when she is if if they do ever um have everyone get boosters you know any children and adults, then I assume that they will give her a booster through the trial too. It's the trial's enrolled. She's enrolled for two years total. That's good. So they're, yeah. So they're following people for that long. And, and, and that's reassuring too, that they Mm -hmm. are really taking the time to see how those that are in the trial are doing, Mm -hmm. not Mm -hmm. just in six months or, you know, even a year. I mean, it's, it's longer than that. Can you explain to everyone what that means to be blinded? Sure. If you don't mind. So, so the trial, it's the, it's the big word we all talk about, randomized <laughs> placebo controlled trial. And so in the trial, um, the participant, which was my daughter and me as her mother, had no idea um, whether she had been randomized, meaning randomly put into a group that was supposed to get vaccine or was supposed to get the placebo. And the people administering the dose to her didn't know. The people doing the study didn't know. You know, everything was a number. She had a number. um, There was a number on the shot she got in her arm, um, which was the same color as the shot would have been if it was, you know, placebo versus vaccine. Everything looks the same. All the procedures are the same so that. So then what happened after she got each shot, she had to complete a diary, a daily diary of symptoms. And this is how they find out if people, you know, they find out what side effects people have. And this is important if you, if anybody is, you know, a nerdy (laughs) person like me and likes to look at trials, it's funny to see like, oh, you know, X amount of people in the placebo group got a headache after their, um, after their placebo injection, it is interesting after their placebo injection. So it's interesting how powerful our mind is that we can have quote unquote side effects from saline from so, nothing. Like, yeah. From nothing. So yeah. So she filled out those diaries and it was, um, yeah, it was, it was cool. And then they do some follow-up calls too, just to see if she's had COVID. Um, if she ever had 
she has not had COVID, but if she ever got sick, um, we had swabs at home that we could have swabbed her and sent them into the trial. And that helps them kind of look at the effectiveness of the vaccine and see um, that's how they figured out people who were in the placebo group versus the vaccine group, you know, got COVID or, or not kind of stuff. Well, thank you for explaining that, because I think the majority of people don't really understand how that all works. Mm -hmm. And I think, unfortunately, that leads to misinformation, which I'd like to talk a little bit about, um, or as much as we need to, actually. (laughs) And, um, and I know you're very passionate about helping people decipher that. So what Mm -hmm. suggestions do you have for people to really know, like, is this, is this science? Or is it opinion? Mm -hmm. Well, I, you know, I think number one is consider the source of where it's coming from. So, you know, reputable organizations such as the CDC, such as the World Health Organization, the, you know, FDA, the American Academy of Pediatrics, the, you know, all of those organizations, if something is coming from them, um, I think you can count on the fact that it is based in science and based in evidence. I think where you have to be careful is if something sounds sensational or something sounds too good to be true, or if your neighbor's brother's uncle's cousin is sharing it (laughs) on social media, (laughs) the chances are it may not be accurate information. And so, you know, those are two extremes, of course. The challenge is when you're in that gray middle area. Yes, the gray zone is always tough. And as primary care takers, we, we kind of live in that gray zone, don't we, a little bit, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and just because it, it is so individual. And um, I know sometimes I get frustrated myself when I read things and um, people that share things. And, you know, I always try to my husband taught me this phrase, actually, they didn't come up with this. So I'll, I'll let uh, John get the credit for this. But he's, he's, he always says, um, and he's in finance, he's not in medicine. But yeah. he said, people are allowed to have their own opinions, mm-hmm. just not their own facts. They can't make right. up their own facts, but certainly right. they can have their own opinion. And so right. Right. I try to tell people, look, you know, Anybody can write anything, but you do, like you said, you have to know your sources. And remember, you can always ask your doctor too Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. about that. And we might not always have all the answers. Some of them we can find out. Some of them we can just, with our families, just agree that, yeah, we have a lot to learn about Mm -hmm, it. mm -hmm. But immunizations have been around for a very long time, and we know that they work. Mm -hmm. And we know that the COVID vaccine, it works. Mm-hmm. And the risks are very rare, which is pretty close to, you know, I don't want to say perfection, but you get the idea. I mean, that's yeah. about as good as it's going to get, you exactly. know, which exactly. is pretty exciting. Yeah. So one of the other big questions I know I get, and we might not have the answer for this um, today, is um, I've already had, co- my child's already had COVID. Mm-hmm. So what should I do? Should I get the vaccine? And, and how long should I wait? Mm. I, yeah, I, I am hoping uh, for more science and guidance on that, because I get that a lot too, especially considering the uptick in cases we've seen recently, you know, with 
the Delta variant and with school starting, I don't know about you, but um, in my office, we saw a significant increase in our COVID cases in August and September. And so I think what, again, there's that, there's definitely, I think a black and white area for me, I would say if a child had COVID a year ago, to me, it's a no brainer. They need a vaccine Um, that a year ago, it's, it was different variants. We don't know that their antibodies are anywhere close to being at the levels they need to protect them. Um, And so I think that is an easy yes. I think if a child had COVID two weeks ago or a month ago, that to me is also an easy answer of you can probably wait a little bit. I think it's okay. Um, Your child has antibodies and they've had very likely the Delta strain. And so I think that you can give it a little bit of time. Now, that's not to say they don't ever need a vaccine, but they may not need it with the first round. You know, let the people who have zero antibodies jump in line in front of you a little bit. And because there is going to be, I feel like a mad dash, at least in my practice, uh, in the very beginning. Um, But that gray zone is those kids that had COVID maybe a few months ago, you know, up to six months ago, you know, what do you do about them? Gosh, back to that risk benefit, you know, I Mm -hmm. think I still, unless there's a, a contraindication, or unless there's a very um, unless parents are very concerned, I don't think there's any harm in them getting the vaccine. It can only help. That's correct. That's correct. And, you know, so timing is very important. So like you said, and so consider the timing and um, and and consider their own risk factors and the risk factors that are that they're, you know, their families and who they're surrounded by. And I and I think those are great um great comments, because I think that is probably one of the biggest questions that a lot of parents have. And Mm -hmm. now you mentioned antibodies. Do you recommend that uh, a child gets tested for antibodies before they get the COVID vaccine? No, there's really not a great antibody test out there for us anyway. I wish there was. So, um, so no, I don't think there's utility in that, um, in getting tested, I think, you know, and I would agree. Yeah, I would agree. But I do, I could, I could imagine that, um, that would be a, a, a question, you know, Oh, for sure. The other thing I would like to mention is I know a lot of people are like, well, I'm pretty sure that our whole family had it back in, uh, November, you know, I'm just throwing oh, out good. a date or and no, they all had it in December of 2019. That's what I keep hearing. We had it before COVID was a thing. I was like, okay, that was almost two years ago. Yeah. So you would benefit from the vaccine in that, yeah, in that yeah, case. Yeah. And, um, and so, and it might be true, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but at the same time, if, um, you know, if you haven't been tested and, you know, some time has gone by, I think it's definitely going again, like you said, the the risks, the benefits outweigh the risks in, in that uh, situation, because we know that you can get COVID again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's so unpredictable. That's the one thing about COVID that I have to admit, scares me the most, not mm-hmm. just as a pediatrician, but also as a parent and mm-hmm. family member. Um, and so... But we know so far, thankfully, the COVID vaccine is predictable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I don't know about you, but I'm, 
I'm going for predictability. Yes, exactly. I, yeah. Yeah. Because so far, you know, again, kids have been really fortunate that this illness doesn't seem to hit them as hard as it does adults, but it feels like we are one mutation away from a virus that could potentially affect them more severely. And that, that as a pediatrician scares me for sure. And we know that the vaccine can help towards decreasing the number of cases, which ultimately decreases the chance for the virus to mutate. Mm -hmm. And so just another reason. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, your knowledge, your passion about such a hot topic. And I do want to mention to our listeners that this is pre-recorded. And we know that science is ever changing, which is why I definitely love being a doctor too. It's never boring, that's for sure. And so I want to remind you that um, your physician, you know, knows you and, um, and don't be afraid to ask questions and feel good about the decisions that you make. Because we all want to sleep good. You know, we want to be able to go to bed and not have doubts or fears. So I hope that the information that we shared today is going to relieve some any doubts and fears. And um, thank you again for joining me. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And so don't forget to listen on Spotify, Apple podcast, or wherever you listen to your shows. And let's grow up together.